It's Lewis Crathen here with another episode of Inside the World of Duotone. And today I'm joined by Dr. Lucas Brander from the Sports Medic Clinic. Lucas, thank you for joining me. Hi, Lewis. It's a pleasure. Um, you're an experienced, well-known surgeon and running the successful clinic Sports Medic. You specialize on sports and joint injuries. You're the team doctor for athletes in many different sports, which we're going to talk about, from first league soccer teams, the Austrian Skiing Federation, to world champions in kite surfing. But please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your clinic. Yeah, so uh, Louis, um, thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. Um, I'm a trauma surgeon, so my topic is uh, on the one hand to fix broken bones. This is the one thing I do. The other thing is I'm specialized in knee surgery. So uh, what I do mostly is to fix crucial ligaments, meniscus tears, cartilage tears. And um, mostly we treat patients that are doing a lot of sports um, on the one hand we have the professional athletes uh, like you talk about on the other hand we have normal sportsmen sports ladies who do normal sports like uh, soccer tennis and the main topic is to bring the athletes back as fast as possible so um, we have to treat on the one hand the injury and on the other hand we have to make a plan how we bring them back early. And this is a matter of physiotherapy and post-operative rehabilitation. And where is it based? Where are you actually based, uh, Lucas? I'm based in Austria, in the capital of Austria, in uh, the middle of Vienna. Oh, wow. My, uh, I have grandparents there in Vienna. That's a nice link, oh, cool. back. nice link back for me. But just getting back on point here, this is a really interesting conversation to have with you today also personally you know i think there's lots of our listeners who will be listening with perhaps a bit of a a knee niggle or an injury in the past it's quite a common thing certainly in kite surfing and also in in most sports so i'm really looking forward to some of the insight i'm going to get today with you so i wanted to talk about some of the riders on the duotone team which are well-known kite surfers and i believe uh, they may be your first world champion kite surfers that you've worked up so you've worked with mika sol and valentin rodriguez Tell me, how, how did that look? You gave them a checkup, I believe. How, how did that work? So um, what I recommend is uh, for professional athletes is that we make a yearly check of the uh, joints, of the muscles, of the tendons, and on the other hand, uh, definitely on the cardiovascular system. So our goal is to keep the athletes healthy. So they come to me even if they have no injury. And what we do is we make a checkup. And so we can figure out whether there are problems coming up or not. And if I see problems coming up, we can mostly treat it with a conservative treatment. So the recommendation, for example, is if you have an overuse syndrome of the patella tendon, we call that jumper's knee. And this is very, very common. We know that the only thing to do is we have to do a special warming up, cooling down and stretching session. And um, they have um, um, they have a special physiotherapy session where they learn exercises they do. And in most cases, we can prevent that it 
uh, gets to more serious problems. And this is the goal of these yearly examinations we do. And on the other hand, uh, for sure, we have to treat acute injuries. So when a person has an injury of the knee, of the meniscus of the crucial ligament, for example, then we have to treat it in an acute way. So for example, with an operation. Um, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I've got a little bit of pain in one of my knees, but is it something that you have where people come to you and perhaps they don't even have pain at the moment? You say you try and check this up before it turns into an injury. Is it common that people come to you without any signs, any pain at all, but you can see your end that a problem is developing? Yeah, we have we have problems um, where some of the athletes tell us that they have rarely pain. So when they do a lot of competitions, they have pain in the end of the competition. And we are case we have cases where they do not feel anything, but when you press on the right place, um, then they feel a certain pain. And then I know that it um, is recommended that we start with a very soft therapy and most likely the problem disappears. And we have problems in the joints. So when we make a, for example, a examination of the knee, we can check up the stability of the knee, of the collateral ligaments and of the crucial ligaments. And once in a while, we find out that an athlete has an instable crucial ligament. He probably does not know about that. And um, when I ask the athlete, then I ask him, did you ever have an injury of the knee? And he says, yeah, probably two years ago. And afterwards, there was a swelling, but no pain. And then I know two years ago, he had a rupture of the ACL, but the muscle is pretty good. So he, is, he, he, he has no problems. And then um, we really have to make a good examination to figure out whether he needs operation or conservative treatment. But um, most important in my point of view is that we really have 100% the facts. So uh, we have the facts, the knee is healthy or the joint is healthy or not. And then I can give my recommendation or I can give um, more um, opportunities to treat it on the one side of uh, operative treatment, on the other side, conservative treatment. So we definitely have situations where we can go both ways. And we're talking, you're telling me about the facts here. And am I right in thinking that the facts come not just from the athlete telling you their history, but is the history there for you to see in an MRI scan? Yeah, the history uh, is uh, on the, uh, the first thing is just to talk to the athlete if he uh, ever had any problems. But most, most important um, is the clinical examination. So I need about um, 10 minutes to make a good examination of a joint. And um, because we uh, quite often get an MRI, send it to us from somewhere in the world. And the question is then, do we have to do operation? Yes or no? And mostly I say, I don't know. You have to come around and we have to check up clinically because uh, in a lot of cases, I can't give 100% recommendation without seeing um, the athlete himself. Okay, that's, that's really interesting. So I guess that's a typical stereotype that certainly I had there thinking that you, you've got it all there in an MRI, but you really need... I mean, only 10 minutes, that's quite amazing. I imagine that that 10 minutes could end up saving maybe or prolong the careers for years of some of your athletes. 
Yeah, I think this, um, the, the, the important stuff is that you really check up the joint and see where the athlete could have problems or definitely has problems. And it's not just up to the MRI. The MRI is a good thing, but most important clinical examination and after the clinical examination, um, I would have a look on the pictures and um, uh, these two things should fit together. So the clinical examination should fit together to the MRI and then we have a good diagnosis. Okay, so you do you would actually need an MRI to, to some degree. You couldn't do this, could or could you do this with just your own clinical examination? Yeah, so what we do when we talk about the normal clinical examination with a yearly check, I check all the joints, and if I see I have no doubt that everything is fine, I do not need any pictures. When we have a patient with a or an athlete with an injury, I make a clinical examination and then I see, okay. In my point of view, for example, it's a rupture of the meniscus or the ACL. And then we have an MRI to see uh, what kind of injury of the ACL or the MRI uh, or of the uh, ACL or the meniscus is seen on the pictures. And um, then we can start the treatment. Okay. That's, um, so before, before I do operation, always MRI for sure. That's nice. Uh, that's a nice insight on the process. Now, I want to talk specifically about our two athletes that are world champions, Mika Sol and Valentin Rodriguez, that I'm, yeah. uh, I've been told that you've seen. Um, they're very young, you know, compared to the riders in yeah. the older part of their career. They're yeah. sort of mid-teenagers. How, how did that look when they came, uh, came to visit you? Yeah, they're very, very cool. Uh, very, very cool um, young athletes um, in a good shape. Um, completely enthusiastic, yeah, really good guys. And um, what is very important because they are pretty young, um, as you said, and it's very important that uh, you give them good advice. So, um, in the kite surfing, we have the situation that it's a very artistic, very athletic sport, and uh, the problem are very often um, the knee and the shoulder. So um, we have to ask ourselves, what is the best way to protect young athletes? Because in all of these sports, we definitely see injuries. Yeah. And you can't prevent that somebody is getting injured. But you, what you can do is um, that you prepare and advise these athletes as best as you can so that they don't get injured. And the ways um, mostly that we give them special advice for special muscle training so that they build up their muscles to um, protect their body. Okay, and those guys are doing well. Did you see anything that you thought, yeah. you know, wow, that there's, a, I mean, they're doing lots of competition and they're the ones getting to the finals all the time, let's not forget. So they're the ones really putting the most um, stress on their bodies, all of those heats. Could you, could you tell that looking at some of the information you had? Yeah, um, I saw I saw pic uh, pictures of Mika uh, last time, and what you see is in these athletes, uh, you see uh, um, over the years how they learn to uh, to train their muscles and their body, and this is really impressive to see the progress. And uh, when you, for example, have a lot of heats, a lot of competitions, uh, your muscles are getting tired. And for example, when you start a competition and when you completely um, uh, completely fit and your muscles do the first heat uh, and you and you do the first heat 
your muscles are mostly prepared to everything. Um, on the other hand, when you are tired and um, you did a lot of sports and competitions the last days, your muscles are pretty tired and they are not as strong and not as fast mm -hmm. as the days before. And then you have the situation that it is very much more likely that you get injured. Okay. It's really interesting to hear that. Um, you know, for, I think anyone that's in competitive sport, maybe we don't know this stuff enough. It's important to understand this. And my next question to you, Lucas, is we talk about physical recovery and physical analysis, but I want to know what your thoughts are on the mental side of it. You know, what's your opinion on the mental side of rehab? Do you advise that as well with your clients? Yeah, what we do is um, we mostly have um, people of trust, a circle of trust in our athletes. So, we're, um, and it's very often the physiotherapist because the physiotherapists are very uh, um, are spending a lot of time with the athletes, and so they talk about not just um, the pain, not just operation. They talk about um, problems. Um, um, in serious injuries where you are out of the sports for months, you know, and you're a professional athlete. Mm. So um, when athletes, professional athletes suffer a really serious injury and they are out of the sports for weeks or months or probably um, one or two years, um, there's very likely that they have a lot of fears so that they fear that they can't prolong their career, yeah, that they won't be back um, in the sports at the same level. And um, there we work, we work um, also with um, psychologists. And um, so the combination of psychologists and physiotherapists and this um, um, circle of trust so uh, what we do is um, we build up a circle of trust where we have um, on the, um, a doctor like me and uh, I give advice what to do for the body and what to do, uh, what kind of operation should be done, what kind of rehabilitation training. And then we have the physiotherapist and the physiotherapist is spending a lot of time with the athlete. And so they uh, talk not just about the injury and the rehabilitation, they talk about uh, the fears and athletes have because it's um, um, very likely that athletes get a kind of depression when they are out of sports for weeks and months. And um, so we try to find the modus to, um, on the one hand, rebuild the body and on the other hand, uh, to keep the athlete uh, healthy in the mind. And is it, is it linked? I mean, do, is it really linked? If somebody's really doing well with their physio and putting the time in, but they're really not feeling positive and having negative thoughts about maybe their career or getting, getting better, does that make a difference to the physical side of things? Are the two linked, mental and phys physical? Yeah, in uh, my experience, it's definitely linked, the mental side and the physical side. So um, when an athlete gets the information that he has a serious injury and he's probably out of the sports for weeks or months. Um, it's definitely a problem mostly to accept it, to accept the situation. And uh, the earlier uh, the athlete could accept it, the earlier we can start with the really good rehabilitation.
And so um, this is uh, a matter of empathic um, talk and a matter of this called a uh, good circle of trust. And um, in my experience, it's very important to connect all of these pieces to get a good and a fast result. And it's even very important um, after, for example, um, an operation that we um, talk pro probably weekly and so that the athlete can talk about the progress, about his fears, about his thoughts. And uh, in most cases, we can definitely see week by week a good progress. And when the athlete is seeing a good progress, we can make a plan. And when there's a plan, he can see in the future, okay, when he will be back in the track. And then it's not so important uh, if it's um, one month or if it's four months. If we see the goal and then we can work for it, and I think this is most important. I think I, I agree with that very much in many aspects of life as well. Um, and it sounds like mindfulness is a big part of this. Now, you must have to break the news to athletes on a, you know, a reasonable frequent basis when you've made your um, analysis, right? This person has a serious injury and that must be hard for you to do that. But can you tell what sort of athletes you're working with, with their response? Can you tell which ones have had good mental training and the ones that maybe accept it quicker to the ones that are, are devastated and can't, and can't accept it? I think the, the um, acute reaction is uh, very often different, but um, the acceptance uh, mostly comes very soon. And um, we um, nearly always find a way, um, really individual way, um, um, depending on the on the athlete and and of the uh, and depending on the uh, psychological situation of the athlete, we find a way um, to help him, and it's very 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 individual. So um, there's no concept um, where I say this concept works on every athlete. It's um, just an empathic way, and you learn to deal with that. So I want to link things a little bit more to the kite surfing side of things, and I believe you are a very keen kite surfer, and I have some questions to you about that just shortly. But lastly, whilst we talk about typical injuries, I wanted to talk about, um, let's say, a cruciate a ligament tear in the knees, and I wanted you to advise us as kiteboarders, because this can happen quite commonly in kiteboarding. Can you run run us through the typical procedure from first aid to getting back on the board for anybody that's perhaps uh, done a done a cruciate ligament in their knees? You mean the the, the whole way coming up from the injury to the uh, to the uh, return to sports? Yeah, just break it down. How does that look from you? You know, from fine. You know, from that first uh, time where you get it looked at to yeah, to, to getting yeah. back on the board. Should somebody even be kite surfing during those early months of finding out they've really hurt their knees? Yeah, yeah. So mostly, um, when you have a, this very typical situation that you have a ACL rupture, uh, you um, have a swelling of the knee. The ACL rupture itself is not very painful. So the connected injuries like meniscus tear, cartilage tear, or uh, injury of the bone, this is painful. The injury of the ACL not. 
what you see mostly is a swelling in the knee in the first days and that the range of motion is not as good as it was before. Mm -hmm. So when you see that the knee is swollen and you have pain, the first thing is uh, you have to have a checkup at the specialist. And what we do is we do definitely MRI, clinical examination, and sometimes X-ray. And then we can figure out if the injury is really serious or not. If you have an instable ACL rupture, then we have to go for operation. Because if you don't do it and you are still instable, the problem is that in the future, it's very, very likely that you destroy your meniscus and cartilage on the long term so that you have a early atrosis. And to prevent this, we have to make the knee stable again. And this is done by ACL repair. So... Um, what I recommend then an instable knee that we go for operation. The best uh, way for operation is when the knee is uh, without any inflammation, free in motion and not swollen anymore. And the operation takes place in a normal hospital. You are in the hospital for two or three days. The operation itself um, is something from 30 to 60 minutes. And afterwards, um, you mostly have a brace for four to six weeks. And very important is the um, post-operative physiotherapy and that you really have a plan what to do. So um, this is a way that you have a physiotherapist who takes care of you. And then you have a special post-operative um, procedure so that you have crutches uh, in the first two weeks um, and you put the crutches uh, slightly away. You start cycling after four to six weeks and then you try to rebuild your muscles. And this is the way to come to come back so that um, after about uh, six weeks you can go on the bike and you um, can do everything but not stop and go sports so and no rotation sports so for example breast uh, breast stroke swimming is not allowed for at least yeah. four months okay. cycling uh, is allowed um, from four to six weeks and you can really go on the bike um, 100 kilometer with 300 uh, watt. So this is not a problem. Running uh, is starting after about three months. And all of these rotation sports uh, and stop and go sports, and this is also kite surfing, should be started earliest with six months um, up to nine months. Well, that's really good information. And I think um, perhaps some people might be listening to this thinking, oh, I, I, you know, I've had those injuries and I've gone kite surfing much earlier than that. But it sounds very clear to me what you're saying, Lucas, is that rotation of the knee is what is dangerous and the unpredictable sports such as kite surfing and football and squash and things where we're really utilizing every aspect of mobility. They're the ones to stay clear of and something like cycling where you can, can control the workload on the knee in one way is, is the thing to do. So let's talk about your kite surfing now, Lucas. Now I want to know your story. How long have you been kite yeah. surfing and where, where would you say your home spot is? Um, uh, as I come from Vienna, the home spot is definitely the Neusiedler Sea. Have you heard about it? I've been there a long time ago in 2007. I drove my Volkswagen Transporter T4 there to the World Cup events down there yeah, and had a wonderful time it was an incredible yeah. time i had one of my best trips in my van so i do know it very well and that's amazing you call that your home 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty close to Vienna, so it's like uh, 30 minutes from Vienna. And I actually started kitesurfing in very, very early. It's what in 1998. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And uh, this was very special because I think there was about five kitesurfers in the lake. So it's um, it was the very beginning. And um, yeah, then I um, had some trips uh, to different countries. We've been to Australia, we've been to South Africa, um, a lot of Egypt. And uh, it was very, very uh, cool to see um, that the sports was really um, getting different year by year. You had a very big progress, different kites every year. So um, when I think back to the safety systems we had um and what uh what we have now so there's really a big big difference and a big big progress and it's much safer than it was in the in the in the years before 2000 definitely definitely and i think the sport has become so accessible for people now it doesn't have yes. that that yes. feel to it that it did in the past where we weren't to know i mean i didn't start as early as you i was 2002 but I just feel that the sport with its safety now and the way with a way that there's so much to offer people getting into the sport with the, the quality lessons and, and what we know and have learned from the, from an industry, I think it's a great time to be part of it. So that kind of leads on to my next question for you is, is in your opinion, do you think that kite surfing is a dangerous sport? Um, I don't think it's uh, it's very dangerous. I think as many sports, you uh, really um, should learn it um, in a very serious way. I think this is most important. For sure, if you um, if you're hanging on lines connected to a kite that pulls you up in the air and you don't know what to do, um, uh, then it could be dangerous. But yeah. if you learn it in a, in a serious way. I don't think that it's very dangerous. And the very good thing in kite surfing is um, that it's not that uh, difficult to learn. So to have fun on the kite, it needs um, just a few days. When I um, see to windsurfing, for example, it's um, you need much, much more, uh, much, much more time that you have fun on the water. I think I, I agree with that massively. Now people often tell me it's a dangerous sport. The ones that don't do it, of course, think, oh, that's crazy. That's a dangerous sport. My my reaction really is that it's as um, extreme as you want it to be. You know, you can be an eight yes. to 10 year old going along yes. in 15 yeah. knots or even a 75 year old, which I know plenty of in my hometown here in Wedding that do it. But if you want to be into big air and perhaps push yourself to be highly competitive, of course, the, the risks go up, but that's just the same with anything or any sport in life, I believe. So I don't, it almost upsets me when people call kite surfing a dangerous sport. How do you, do you feel about that? Does it upset you? Um, yeah, I think it's, um, um, it's not thought to the end because, um, you can say of any activity that it gets dangerous when you do it in a stupid way. You know what I mean? Everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you said, um, it's very up, um, to the way you do it. If you jump very close to the, to the beach in shallow water with rocks and you're not really skilled, it's not a good idea, you know. But when you do it in a in a in a in a in a, in a safe way, and when you try tricks and you don't have one hundred kites around, 
um, nothing serious will happen most likely. Yeah. So um, this is um, just a matter of intelligence and a matter of um, how much risk you want to take. But I think it's very good to scale for everybody. Um, and if you want to do it in a safe way, I think uh, it's uh, very easy to do it. So we're into our last five minutes now, um, Lucas, this has been wonderful so far. So I just have one more question for you, which I'm going to mm -hmm. introduce now. We're talking about dangers here, Lucas, and I now want to use another word, which is adventurous, because I've got down here that you are very adventurous in other fields. Um, I've got here speed flying, mountain biking, expeditions to Greenland, the Himalayas and Egypt, etc. So tell me a bit more about the adventurous side of you, which by the looks of it looks a little bit more, can I say, dangerous than kite surfing, you know, speed flying. Tell me all about those things you're into. Um, yeah, so um, things like um, I was um, um, always very happy to do things um, I like to and um, um, I was very into flying and the speed flying, for example, is, uh, this is quite a risky thing. Yeah. So because you fly with very, very small, uh, parachutes down the, down the uh, mountains. And, um, the fascinating thing is you are very, very fast. So, um, you, you are like a jet, um, flying down the mountains and you can you can land again you can uh, fly again so this is a very very uh, fascinating sport but this is um, um pretty dangerous because you are very fast very close um to the ground and this makes it dangerous but even in um speed flying if you do it in a safe way it's not so likely that you enjoy yourself and um uh, I, I'm fascinated just um, to do whatever you f uh, I feel like. And I was mostly very happy when I do not need uh, like a, helic a helicopter or a plane, for example, when I did the skydiving. Yeah, I always was not feeling so good because I always have to go up with the plane. It was always um, a lot of pollution, a lot of um, noise. And so when you go up a mountain with the speed flyer, you are just alone or with some friends, you put on your, she, uh, your, your skis or, or just by foot and you fly down. So, yeah, um, I, I can understand how that yeah. might feel. And you're also not relying on anyone else, right? It's up to you when you go and, you, and that's that. Yeah, and so experience and adventure in the in the in the nature yeah even in the the, the Greenland thing was we wanted to go by kites um, um, uh, through the through Greenland so coming from the south, going up to the north. But um, this was even a very, very exciting experience. But unluckily, I fell in a crevice um, after wow. six weeks and had a, quite a bad knee injury. And actually, because we talked about the ACLs, I, I ruptured um, both ACLs and the fracture as well in the knee. So um, um, I know what I talk about because I had a lot of injuries um, yet. And so... And know how they feel. Can I, can I ask uh, you? Can I ask, yes. step in here and ask you who you went to for the analysis for that, or did Sorry, you do it? Where did you go for your analysis on your knees, or did you perform that yourself? 
No, I was. Uh, so uh, the fact that I was in Greenland, we have to wait uh, two days that a rescue helicopter is finding us, and they wow. took uh, took took us off the ice shell of Greenland, and then we flew back to Vienna. And uh, this was uh, a time when I already was working in a hospital, so I had a good address where to go. Um, but uh, what I wanted to say is that um, I had a lot of injuries, and so I definitely know how they feel, and I also definitely know uh, what the fears. Uh, what the fears are and so this is um was very important for me this um to have this situation myself and so i think um uh, this helps me to advise young athletes in a very very good and empathic way yeah and i think um on that note lucas i just wanted to uh, we're going to wrap things up now it's been a great insight um, this podcast to actually listen to you and talk about how you deal with athletes and, and also what you do with your own sports. Cause I can imagine, and hopefully I do get to see you one day where I I'll sit there and know, and it must be lovely for the athletes to know that you have that experience yourself with knee injuries. And also as a sportsman, you know, kite surfing, speed flying, mountain biking, these expeditions, you really do understand what it takes um, to push, to push your body. So I wanted to thank you for joining me today and the work you're also doing with our Duotone team. Um, it's been a pleasure talking with you. It was a pleasure, Louis. Thank you very much for the talk. And I hope to see you somewhere on the beach. Thank you. And cheers. Cool. Take care.